Hey folks, this is the Serving to Peace Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Hardy. Welcome to the program. This is your first time joining us. Welcome to the program. If you like this program, by all means, like, share, rate the program on iTunes, rate it on whatever uh, platform you're using to listen to us, and it helps us reach more audience, right? It helps us, if you like it and you like other things, it'll help us reach people of like-minded individuals, right? Um, share it to your social media. Help us grow a bit. I love doing this. I love talking to you guys, I, you know, but we need this to grow, right? We need to, we need to expand our audience a bit. Uh, yep, yep, yep. Um, all right, so I want to jump into something really quick. Now, if you've been listening to this program from the beginning, you've heard me over the years um, drop hints about my frustration with the teachers' unions, my frustration with the public school systems. I may have even broke down a few things uh, over the time. So something happened, um, and it's starting to kind of a, a national debate a little bit. Not a big one, but you know, it, it's starting the conversations around on social media and stuff like that. And I've made the comment twice already, and, and so here's, here's what happened. Let me just kind of jump into this for a second. So Arizona, the state, not the IC, no longer requires teachers to have a college degree. That's the headline. Now, if I'm just reading the headline, I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, good, good. And I'll explain in a minute why, right? Good. Okay. Now, if you actually read into it, it says Arizona is changing its educational requirements for public school teachers. New legislation signed by Governor Doug Ducey earlier this week requires that a person only needs to be enrolled in a college or university to get their degree in order to start teaching in public schools, according to Arizona Family. And that's a newspaper down there, I think. While this new legislation makes it easier for those who want to become teachers to do so, it has been met with mixed reactions. Now, on the surface, right, there's many people probably in this audience and anywhere else who reasonably react the same, right? They're like, well, what are you talking about? Teachers don't need a degree anymore. That's crazy talk. Um, of course, they need an advanced degree. Um, I'm going to stop you right there. Teachers did not need an advanced degree. For years, okay, for decades, for centuries, right? Remember, the public school system was the great experiment. Before that, it was homeschooling, and then if you could pass a test, you might be able to get into a public university of some sort for advanced degrees, blah, 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 right? I mean, you go back to the 1800s in the education system, the 1700s, what was going on, you know? So public school, as we know it today, was the great experiment, Okay. And for the most part, it was doing pretty well up until the 70s, and I'll explain why. Um, we elect our local school boards. We elect our local officials. They hire the principals and the teachers, and they run the schools. They're given a specific amount of budget based off, well, it's supposed to be based off the tax bracket or tax um, property taxes in that area to help fund the local schools. Okay? Here's what started going wrong. A little thing happened called decentralization. Right When it went from us electing our local officials to the state governing how our local officials must run their schools, how they're funded and everything else. Okay, Then the federal government got involved with the Department of Education. This happened in the 70s, and our schools, which used to be some of the top-notch public schools in the world as of the 70s or up until through the 60s, when we started the Department of Education, which started decentralized or started centralizing things and regulating and basically putting up a standard of what um, what public schools are required to do along with universities and educate and um, stuff like that and colleges, um, we started going downhill. Right? Now our public school systems rank amongst the lowest in the world. 
Now, are those numbers 100% accurate? No, right? People will look at the Chinese public school system and say, oh my gosh, they're one of the best in the world. Well, guess what? No one's going out to rural China, okay? Like, let's, let's be real here, okay? Um, the Chinese only let us see what they want us to see. So if they say, oh yeah, it's the best in the world, it's because they're only showing us their best schools that are best funded and everything else. They're not showing us all of it. But anyways, nonetheless, our, our public school system is not great. Our, our, it, it's, it's a major failure, okay? And I know that's a strong thing to say, but it is. Okay, if you need evidence that it's a major failure, one, you can look at our ratings throughout the world, for one. And two, go to our college system, right? Your high school graduate goes to college, and the first two years of college, of any, whether it's a junior college, university, whatever, is basic ed, right? General education. In other words, it's essentially a repeat of high school. Why? Because they cannot trust the public school high school system to educate people enough to function in their college system. Now, I know what I just said is super controversial, okay? So let me back up a bit. Other people would argue that it's the colleges and universities which are capitalizing on people saying, oh, yeah, you need an extra two years of this general education, and they're just, you know, getting more money from people, right? And now I can make both arguments, and I think they're both true. Colleges like the general education requirement because, one, it gets their students up to par with the rest of the two, or two to four to eight years or whatever they need to do there, okay? But also, they get to make more money, right? They just do. That's how it works, okay? But if you think our public school systems are perfect the way they are, you're not paying attention, okay? If you think our public school systems are perfect because you went through there and you turned out all right, you're not paying attention, right? There's a lot more to this. Okay. Now, Arizona has a problem. Arizona has a teacher problem. In fact, a lot of states do, right? You have a lack of teachers in general. Not very many people graduate from college and say, well, I want to be a teacher down in Arizona, right? I mean, that's one of those degrees and, and credentials you can pretty much take anywhere in the United States. Why would you go to Arizona, right? Some people will say, well, I'm going to go to Hawaii or I'm going to go to Florida or I'm going to go to, you know, Illinois, you know, like, you know, who knows? Um, so Arizona has a teacher problem and this was one of their solutions. I actually like it. You had a governor who didn't just kick the can down the road. He didn't just shrug and say, oh, well, the teacher's union's getting in my way. Okay, he said, okay, look, if they're enrolled to become a teacher, they should, you know, let's start letting them teach. And I agree with that. Now, let me break this down. Here's, here's one of the other big failures I see with our teaching system. Okay, the first grade teacher. Go to your elementary school and go find that first grade teacher that's been teaching for, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And guess what? The amount of money they make to teach first, second, third, fourth, fifth grade is the same amount of money they would make if they were a history teacher in high school. Now, the reason why that matters is because the history teacher in high school is probably teaching anywhere from 100 to 250 students, depending on the size of the school and everything else. Whereas the first grade teacher in the elementary school is teaching anywhere from 20 to 35 students, depending on the schools, Right? So why is that teacher getting paid the same amount as the high school teacher? Now, keep in mind, we can all generally agree that teachers are underpaid, right? They are. I, I actually mentioned on the last podcast, they are underpaid because they have a profession of love. They don't really do it for the money, right? If you're, if you're looking for a profession for the money, you don't become a teacher. You do it because you love teaching, you love working with kids or whatever, okay? Um, so you have this issue, but the reason why... We define teachers as being underpaid. One of the reasons why is because the education required to become a teacher does not 
match the amount of pay. Right? Now, if I become a doctor and I spend 8 to 10 years in college at a university becoming a doctor, and then I spend a couple of years um, as an intern and everywhere else and, you know, moonlighting, you know, doing all everything it takes to become a full-fledged doctor, okay? Yeah, sure, doctors get paid a lot of money, but they have an education that, that matches it, right? They could pay back their own student loans when they become a doctor, Okay, in theory, lawyers do too. Now, granted, different types of lawyers, right? If you're a public defender in a small county in some rural area someplace, great. You're probably not getting paid as much as you would if you were a civil attorney in a big city, right? But regardless, you have the potential to make a lot of money as a lawyer. And to become a lawyer, you're not going to get that education off public school or just from public school. You have to get the advanced degree along with dentistry, optometry. You know, there's, there's tons of stuff. In fact, last I read, someone did a study on this and they said, look, only about 30% of all, call, of all jobs in America actually require some sort of degree to do it. 30%. Okay, most jobs, that 70% of jobs that require a degree to do them, you don't actually need the degree. Right? The degree actually doesn't do anything. It's just a job requirement. It's just like, oh yeah, show me, show me that you read a book and did a report on it and wrote some thesis at some point and got a little piece of paper saying that you're educated. Okay, and then boom, we're going to give you this job uh, managing the store over here. Right? Like, it, it doesn't actually require, the degree doesn't actually translate to the job that's being done. Okay? Okay, I actually have a teacher friend who straight up told me, she, she does special ed and stuff, she straight up told me she learned nothing about her job from college. She went and got a master's degree, and she's like, there was nothing I learned in college that actually helped me with my job. I actually had to do my job. I learned it all in the, in the field. Okay, that's a failure in the system, right? So you got to wonder, well, why did she need to get the degree to do what she does? Okay, and that's kind of what's happening here. Okay, in theory, someone who graduates high school should be able to teach kindergarten through fifth grade. Right? There's a curriculum set aside. There's books. There's plans. There's lesson plans for the year. Right? They should, they should have enough education to be able to teach those grades easily. Okay? It's just a matter of if they have the work ethic and, and the planning and the stuff to do it. Right? So I'm not against the idea of having a teaching credential. I'm not against the idea of doing some sort of teacher's crash course of how to be a teacher for six months to 18 months or whatever like that. Just like being a cop. right? In California, it takes about six months to become a cop. If you go through the police academy full-time, cool. Let's do that for teachers. right? You want to be a kindergarten to fifth grade teacher? Fine. And the beauty about doing something like that is the pay would match the education. Okay? So that goes back to the whole underpaid thing, right? The pay would match the education. If you're making anywhere from thirty dollars to $60,000 teaching kindergarten through fifth grade and all you have is a teaching certificate of some sort and no advanced degree, nobody's going to look weird at you, right? We're all just going to shrug and be like, well, that's, that's what you get, right? Because in theory, like I said, if you have a high school diploma, you should be able to teach those grades e easily. Now look, Somebody posted this story on, on Facebook, and I kind of made the comment. I was like, well, I, I agree, okay? And she responded. She said, it's like saying, the, it, it's like saying anyone can teach just because to, they, too, were once a student. Um, so not the truth. I wouldn't want this for my kids. On top of that, Arizona has one of the highest teacher shortages in the nation and one of the lowest pay scales, hence why no qualified teacher would want to work there. Teachers already make less than than others <clears throat> with the same amount of education. Sorry, she, she has some typos here. What is sad is that is this change isn't going to make things better for the students there. I think it will. Because the education requirements didn't make things better for the students when they encouraged it. Right? 
I'll tell you right now, everything she said, the homeschooling world, the homeschooling moms and dads out there prove what, what she just said is wrong. Okay, this little supercomputer I hold in my hand and I talk to people with and I get on social media and I do things with proves that the education system as we know it is going to change and modify. Okay, COVID has proven with modern technology that you don't need to go to some giant institution to get a decent education. You can do it at home. You can do it with that little phone in your hand, with a computer. Okay, we have access to more knowledge ever in the history of all human beings. Okay, and the educational system is going to modify and change. My dad made this argument one time about the education system. He said, part of the problem is there's too many teachers. Now, hold on. I know what you guys are thinking. They're like, well, there's teacher shortages. There are teacher shortages. However, the reason why we get away with teaching, paying teachers so little is because there are so many of them. This goes back to what I was saying. Why is the history teacher in high school getting paid the same amount of money as the first grade teacher? Right? At that point, you might as well just be the first grade teacher. Right? Bust out the glue, the glitter, do little projects here and there. Well, let's work on our words and our, our letters and the sounds they make. Okay? Why teach high school history and have to grade 150 papers? Right? There's a problem there. So my dad said, hey, in the future, why don't we have one teacher teach on TV. Now, this is in the 90s he's saying this, right? Teach on TV, and we could pay them $200,000 a year, and they could uh, educate, you know, a million kids at once. Now, granted, those are all exaggerated numbers, but you see the point he's trying to make? I could, I could tell you right now. Okay, I, I used to live in Brazil. In Brazil, when you go to school, public school, you go in the morning or in the afternoon or in the evening. Okay, school ran three times a day. Okay, so if you're a high schooler who is working a job to help your family make ends meet because you live in a third world country and you live in a bad part of that country and you guys are all struggling, you can still get your public school education because you go at night. Or you go first thing in the morning and you work at night. Right? But the beauty about the system was this. Okay? If you apply that here in the United States, let's say you ran your typical public school twice a day. Okay? Your typical first grade teacher can deal with 25 students in the morning and 25 students in the afternoon. She works four hours in the morning, takes a one-hour break, works four hours in the afternoon, she goes home and enjoys her life. Okay? If you did it that way, you can cut the amount of teachers we have in half and we could double the pay of the ones that we have. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean we're just going to lay off half the amount of teachers because, like I said, there's a teacher shortage, right? There's jobs everywhere. Okay? But my point is, though, is Arizona's new law, the teachers' union's not going to fight it. They're not going to fight it because... A union is a big business that's in the job. They're in the business of putting people to work, right? They make money by having more employees. So the more teachers there are, the more money the union makes. So they may be outspoken and, you know, scream a little bit, stomp their feet and stuff. But the truth is they want this because they want more teachers so they can make more money, okay? The idea I just proposed about let's cut the amount of teachers in half, double the work day to a regular eight-hour day that we all work, okay, and double the amount of pay the teachers get, Okay, the teachers' union would hate that. They would stomp that down in a heartbeat. They would try their best to destroy that job. Why? Because it would decrease the amount of teachers they have, thus decreasing the amount of money they make. Does that make sense? All right, I have to take a break. Let me come back to all this in a second.
Alright. And we're back. I kind of want to go back to something that that person said on Facebook, right? The, the debate I was having. And she said, quote, I would hate that for my kids. Right? She would hate her kids to be taught by somebody who didn't have a college degree. Right? If you're a teacher listening to this, I'm sure you've hated half of what I said. But I want to point something out. Your degree is not what makes you a good teacher. It's not. Right? Teaching is an art. It's a talent. Okay? To take something elaborate and complicated and break it down to a way where children or teenagers can understand it. I'll tell you right now, one of the best teachers I ever had in high school, I don't even remember his, uh, was it Mr. Stark? Maybe. Um, one of the best teachers I ever had in high school, he taught U.S. government. U.S. government is complicated. It's hard. It's hard to understand. Okay? It's hard for teenagers to grasp it. Okay? Now, let me tell you something. Mr. Stark, if I'm remembering if that was his name or not, I think that was the name. Let's call him Mr. Bob. I don't care. Uh, let's say Mr. Bob, um, he was actually super liberal, and he kind of liked to insert his own ideas and stuff and his own opinions and everything. Um, but he was open to the conversations and the discussions, right? Do I think he was wrong to do it the way he did? Yeah, sometimes. Do I think he mistaught things? Yes, I do. I'm kind of concerned about what he might be teaching today or how he might be teaching things today. But um, the thing is, though, is he was actually a fantastic teacher in the pureness of the sense of teaching, right? Because U.S. government is difficult. He also taught psychology in high school. All right. So to take something, again, that's super elaborate and complicated and has tons of moving parts and break it down so kids could write essays about it and pass tests about it, that's hard. That takes a lot of talent. Okay, I made the same argument applying to, to police work because I've seen this in my agency before. I've also seen it in other agencies where they promote what, what they call an FTO, right? a field training officer. Okay, A field training officer is that one that when you get hired as a cop, you ride with him and you go through different phases and he teaches you uh, a bunch of different stuff, right? Different agencies take a different amount of time. I think my agency is like four months or something like that. Um, they get through a full field training. And then when you're done with that, then you're on your own. And you still might be shadowed for a little while or whatever. They're still paying attention to you. But at least you're on your own. And then, you know, after a year, you're good, right? You're good to go. You're a full-fledged. Well, at least all your training's good to go, right? You still have a lot of experience to learn. You still got a lot of things to learn. But you're, but, but you're getting there, right? Um, the mistake I've seen them make is when they promote these cops who are just like super cops, right? Oh, these guys are always going out. They're getting in car chases, arresting people, blah, blah, blah. Okay, and they make them FTOs because they're like, oh, they're going to teach and create more super cops, right? They're going to teach these guys. And sometimes that's true. The problem is these guys are not always good at teaching, right? Because police work is a very complicated monster, okay? And it's very hard to teach somebody enough to apply it to every situation because every situation is completely unique and different. It's not like I can say, hey, if this happens, do this because every situation is different and this won't always happen and this won't always be the appropriate response, right? So it's, it's hard. It's a difficult monster to teach people how to be cops from the police academy through FTO. It's a, it's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to grasp, Okay, so the mistake I see people make is sometimes they promote these super cops who suck at teaching. And next thing you know, guys are not doing well in their FTO. They're, they're failing out. They're doing whatever. They have to get extended. They have to go to other FTOs. And people are looking at him like, what the heck, man? You're a super cop. And he's like, yeah, I know. I was trying to teach him to be a super cop. Well, he was, well, you got to adapt, right? These guys got to learn. They got to be teachers, right? And they got to take something and say, hey, you can't just expect them to know how to do it until you taught them how to do it. Right, so I ha I have a lot of love and respect for teaching. It's it definitely an art in and of itself. Okay, but the teachers, the, the the public school system as we see it right now is just it sucks. Okay, and that's not a reflection on teachers, right? I love teachers, I really do.
Okay, again, it's a labor of love. Okay, it, 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 you know, what they, what they do is hard. Okay, I don't think I would ever have the patience to do what they do. Although I love teaching kids and stuff, and I love teaching, I don't have the patience to do that. Okay, I don't have the patience to sit there and read through 100 English essays for my high school class, right? But you got to admit, though, I, I brought up some valid points, especially about the way they're paid. Okay, here's the thing. If I was going to do the system, okay, if I was going to do the system, kindergarten through fifth grade would be no college degree necessary. You make 40 grand a year or whatever the pay scale is, okay, you get a teaching certificate, you're taught how to do the job, you're monitored, you know, you do a good job, this is what we're going to do for you, you can get this job straight out of high school, okay? Middle school ages, right, your sixth through eighth grade or whatever, associate's degree, okay? While you're teaching king, or, or kindergarten through fifth, you can go get your associate's degree, right? You can do that out overnight, right? You can do that in a couple of years where you're getting teaching experience. Boom, you bump up the middle school classes, you're teaching stuff, you, and boom, your pay bumps up with it. Okay, let's say hypothetically you're making 40 grand teaching fourth grade. Okay, now you're making 60 grand teaching middle school. Now you're teaching more advanced math, more advanced English, social studies, history, stuff like that, stuff that you learn in middle school. Okay, PE, all that kind of good stuff. Okay, cool. Now you're making 60 grand. Oh, now you want to make more money? Cool. Go get your bachelor's degree. Let's go teach in high school. All right, high school English teacher, high school... Uh, <clears throat> sorry, high school English teacher, high school history teacher, high school math teacher, boom, got your bachelor's degree, you got your, uh, you got your credential and your associated subjects, cool, boom, you're good to go, $80,000 a year, right? Would that not make sense? Okay, shoot, you could pay them up to $120,000 a year. Why? Because they're teaching a ton of students. Let's go back to my first example. Let's say you take your fourth grade teacher and say, okay, you got 25 students for an entire year. You're going to make $40,000 a year. But hey, teach in the morning, teach in the afternoon. Let's eliminate half the need for teachers. And boom, we can afford to pay you now $80,000 a year, a living wage. Right? Then your middle school teacher is getting paid hundred grand. Your high school teacher is getting paid 120 to 130 grand. Why? Because they're teaching 100 students, 150 students, 200 students, 300 students. Okay, take a high school history teacher and say, hey, look, man, I know it's a long day for you. Teach a morning class, teach an afternoon class, substitute in the evening, we'll pay you overtime. Right? I mean, why not? The whole system, you could really make it so teachers are making more money and they're actually teaching more and doing more too. Okay? You can do that. You can totally revamp the system. The problem is, though, anytime you propose a radical change like this, the teachers' union gets involved, right? The teachers' union does not like change. They don't, okay? They want to employ as many teachers as possible. When you hear teachers coming out and saying their classrooms are too big, we need to have limits on teachers, that's the teachers' union trying to get them to hire more teachers so they can make more money. That's all that is, okay? When they look at a, a classroom that has 35 kids in it and they're like, oh, that's too many, we need to drop it down to, to 28 kids, okay, cool. Every classroom does, drops it down 28, and boom, now you have to justify hiring two more teachers. The teacher's union gets more money. That's what it is. It's a big business. When you start looking at unions as a big business, a lot of stuff starts making more sense, right? They're in it for themselves. They're in it for putting people to work because that's how they make their union dues, okay? I pay union dues. I'm a member of a union, just so you know. I have a little bit of credibility in this matter, okay? Also, when I worked construction, I was a member of a labor union, okay? I had to write a check each month for 60 bucks and send it to my union, even if I wasn't even working. Why? Because I was a member. 
And if I wanted member privileges and I wanted an opportunity to work someplace, oh no, I had to pay that 60 bucks a month, even if I wasn't, even if they wasn't working at all. Okay. So again, let's recap, right? Let's take what my dad said about having too many teachers in the world, cut them in half, double the amount of pay, the ones that remain as a teacher, right? Have them teach in the morning, have them teach in the afternoon, right? Have them work by the hour, right? Just like everybody else. If you work past that, you get paid overtime, okay? And again, have the education match the grades you're teaching, have the grades you're teaching and the amount of students you're teaching match the pay, okay? You're teaching grammar school, cool, 40 grand a year. Teach middle school, cool, 60 grand a year. Teach high school, cool, 80 grand a year, right? Or again, let's double their pay, right? Cool, 80 grand a year to teach grammar school, 100 grand a year to teach middle school. 120 to 130 grand a year to teach high school. That's, that to me is what makes sense, right? I, I don't like the idea that a high school history teacher, a high school English teacher, a high school Spanish teacher, a high school French teacher, or a high school PE teacher, these guys who are teaching, again, hundreds of students sometimes, right? Because every period goes through and they got another 30 kids coming into the classroom. Okay, in my high school, they had block scheduling. So three times a day, they had 30 kids coming to the classroom. And then the next day, it was another group of 90 kids. Right? They're easily teaching anywhere from 120 to 180 kids, some of these teachers. Okay? They'd get teachers' aides, which are usually just students, helping them grade tests and stuff. Right? That's why they do the Scantron test, the little multiple choice test, because that was the fastest and easiest way to grade them. Right? They don't like doing essays unless they had to. Right? But again, they're, they're teaching the most amount of students. They should be making the most amount of money. Okay? And again, that's, this is not a bash on teachers. Okay, but I do question the teachers' union a lot. And it, it, it makes sense too. For crying out loud, teachers have been complaining about being underpaid for 80 years. 80 years. What has the teachers' union ever done about it? Increasing the amount of teachers is not making it easier for them to make more money. Right? That's, that's not how you're going to solve the problem. But that's all the teachers' union wants to do. They want to increase the amount of teachers so they can make more money. Okay, so again, perfect world. Cut the amount of teachers in half. Teach in the morning, teach in the afternoon, pay them overtime, whatever. Okay, get rid of the teachers' union. Okay, now here's the other benefit of that. Get rid of the teachers' union because anytime you have a bad teacher, it's a lot easier to fire them. Because that's the other issue I have with teachers' unions, when they're protecting bad teachers. Okay, I was reading this book that did a whole breakdown one time, this whole study about teachers, I think in Manhattan or Brooklyn or New York or whatever. They had this entire room of teachers who were not allowed to teach because of some incident that occurred, but the union would not allow them to be fired. So you had these teachers that would show up, they'd all hang out in this room for eight hours a day or seven hours a day or six hours a day or doing something because they were being paid to be teachers, but they weren't allowed to teach. So the school district could not put them back in the classroom, but the teachers union would not allow them to be fired. Some of these teachers were running businesses out of this. Some of them had started side businesses, so they're making money as a teacher, and then during that amount of time where they're supposed to be sitting there teaching, they're running side businesses, internet businesses, stuff like that. Okay, and, and yeah, that's an extreme example, but it's a real example. And this kind of stuff happens all the time. Okay, it's tough. And there's a big breakdown. Now, here's the thing. The DTP at USA.com, I know what I'm saying is pretty controversial and pretty radical, but we can't just keep doing the same thing, right? We can't keep just throwing money at schools expecting a different result because it's not working, right? We spend more money on our public schools than any other nation on earth, and our teachers are still dramatically underpaid, Right? But anytime someone comes along and proposes a radical change, hoping to actually change that and make it so teachers are actually making a decent wage and that students are actually getting a decent education and teachers being held to a standard that allows teach students to get a decent education, the teachers union gets involved and stops it. Every single time. 
You give me an example when that's not happening and I'll give you an example where it is. Hey folks, if you're like me, I get really sick and tired of spending five, seven, eight, 12 bucks every day at Starbucks or Dutch Brothers or one of these other coffee places. And then you turn around and hear about places like Starbucks and how they treat law enforcement and how cops are getting kicked out. Well, I got a new company for you, right? If, if you're at that point where you just want to make good quality coffee from home, I want you guys to check out my new friends, 1097 Coffee. This is a law enforcement and veteran owned local first responder themed business. Now I want to pull this little expert from their website. 1097coffee.com, all spelled out, no, no numbers. 1097 Coffee was created in support of our first responders. This includes our military, police, fire, dispatchers, emergency medical service, and our motto is support to all. If you're looking for a company that supports causes you believe in, check out 1097coffee.com and order from their either medium, dark, or dark roast selections. That's 1097coffee.com, and you could also find them on Facebook or Instagram. So during the break, I, I see a message and somebody encouraged me to watch the um, Uvalde uh, surveillance footage from inside the school. And I've seen stills before and I've seen stuff and I've, I finally actually went on YouTube, found a news story that showed some of the footage and <sighs> there, <sighs> look, when I was a school resource officer, I used to teach active shooter. Okay. I used to teach it to cops. I used to teach it to, um, to teachers. The first thing's first, right? And I, I've, I've beat this to death on this show before. Run, hide, fight. Okay, run, hide, fight. And let me tell you something, parents. Do not wait for the school resource officer to come to the classroom and try and tell your kids what to do. Teach them now. Run, hide, fight. Okay, that's what we're teaching people. Run away. Do not barricade yourself in the classroom unless you have to. Right, that's the hide part. The first part is run. And that means teachers break that black, break break the window in the back and start funneling kids outside and get them running out running out and away from the school. That's what you got to do. Okay, you only hide and barricade when you have no choice. Like you're you're trapped, you're cornered, you don't have a choice. Okay, the theory behind hiding and barricading initially was because when school shooters come to a school, and this is pretty much true that we know of. They tend to want to try and get a high body count, right? To them, it's a game. It's a score. They're trying to beat the previous school shooter. Um, and so the idea was if you can lock and barricade your classroom doors, he's not going to spend too much time trying to get in because he's trying to get that high body count. He's trying to look for the easier targets, right? Um, that's not always the case. Rifles can often penetrate doorways and windows and, and, and um, walls and everything else, right? So if somebody wanted to just shoot indiscriminately into a classroom, they could still do a lot of damage. Um, but the first thing we're supposed to do is run, right? So I'm watching this footage. Now, cops, here's what we cops are supposed to do. This is what we're trained to do. Don't wait, right? We learned way back in Columbine that the whole show up, surround the school, try and call the shooters out, exchange fireball, but that didn't work. That didn't work. People were bleeding to death on the floors, right? People who probably could have survived their injuries ended up dying because it just simply took too long for cops to finally just move in and take out the bad guys and, and get help to these people. So I'm watching this, and I get it. It's scary, right? Fear is always going to be a wild card. 
Okay, fear is always going to be a wild card. You cannot teach people to overcome fear. They have to figure it out for themselves when they're in that moment of feeling extreme fear. But you see the cops flowing just like they're supposed to. They show up. They're flowing into the school. They're going in after the guy. The guy starts returning fire, and they double back, and they run away. I think two of them did get hit, but they were like grazing wounds or something like that. And I get it. It's hard. Okay? But what you're supposed to do is go into that school and die. Now, I don't mean that literally. But when you go into that school, you're supposed to go in with the idea of, I need to get this guy to shoot at me. Because when he's shooting at me, he's not shooting at those kids. <sighs> Sorry, I don't mean to get emotional. But I see these guys take fire. They, they double back. They're scared. They're running away. They're right there. Now they're dealing with the guy. They, they think the situation's changed to a barricaded subject. Some other cops show up, and these guys have shields. Shields are supposed to be bulletproof, right? They're big, heavy, jig chunks of absorbing steel, right? Like, okay, I've carried them. They're, they're heavy. They're he Okay, if I show up and these guys have already doubled back and someone hands a shield and I say, what are we doing? And everyone's just bogged down and not knowing what to do. They don't know their ass from their gun. I don't... Grab a freaking shield and go in there. Kick that damn door in. Okay? That's what you got to do. The shield there is to buy you a couple moments where hopefully you can get a good shot off. Okay, the first guy goes in with the shield. Hopefully the bad guy starts shooting at him. Hopefully the shield keeps that first guy alive long enough to return fire and the next guys can flow right in and take him out. Okay, that's what you're there to do. I'm sitting there watching this footage and these guys show up, they're down the hall and there's, they got two, at least two or three shields right there on camera and they're not using them. 36 minutes later, they're still not using these shields. This is the kind of crap that gives cops a bad name. My liberal friends whose, whose minds I've been trying to change about cops for years now, some of them, will take stuff like this and see, like, well, you see, uh, cops don't have an obligation to save children. They don't care. It's just a job. We're, we're paying their salary. I get it's a small agency. Like, I'm, I'm willing to take things with a grain of salt left and right, right? Like, I'm willing to keep an open mind. But the training I, I just briefly discussed with you guys about the whole just flow in, the run, hide, fight, this is nationalized training. Okay, the way it's taught is not always going to be the same, but that's essentially the same premise we're teaching from California to Florida, from, from L.A. to New York. Okay, it's not that hard. And again, fear is a wild card. And I think my theory is there was a bunch of monkey see, monkey do kind of stuff where, oh, the first guy didn't run in, so let me hold up and see what he's doing. Let me see what this guy's doing. Everyone's waiting to be told what to do. They're waiting for the guy that has enough balls to make a call. Okay. Yeah, that was a hard one to watch. And like I said, I could, I could, I could spin this around and try and be like, well, it's a small agency. They didn't know what they're doing. They, you know, they, maybe they didn't have the appropriate amount of training. I have yet to read anything about that chief stepping down because if I were chief, I'd be ashamed. If my guys didn't have the appropriate amount of training, if they didn't know what to do in that situation, that'd be my failure as a chief. Let me take another quick break here for a second, and then I'm going to jump into the topic I really meant to talk about. Hey folks, I realized the gold commercial for this was getting, well, old. So I decided it was time to re-record it. Grandma'spantrypocadella.com. That's Grandma'spantrypocadella.com. One of our oldest sponsors. It's Brian and Kim, my good friends. 
uh, for all your custom jams and jellies. I have a case of them in my pantry right now. Very unique flavors. If you have guests coming and you want to just wow them with something different than your typical strawberry and grape, Grandma's Pantry, Pocatello.com for your custom jam and jelly needs. All right, and I'm back. Okay, so I got to get back to the story that I, I really want to talk to you about. Um, so Arizona Governor Doug Ducey, who signed the, the first, or the law of the first segment we were talking about, right? The one where the teachers don't necessarily need a degree to start teaching yet. And I kind of explained my whole case and my whole issues with the public school system and blah, blah, blah. blah. I, could, I, could, I could talk all day about that crap. I'm not going to bore you with it. He also signed another law. He's been a little busy down in Arizona, and I'm kind of loving what he's doing so far. Arizona Governor Doug Ducey signs law banning video recording within eight feet of police activity. Okay, so Republican Arizona Governor Doug Ducey signed legislation banning residents from recording video within eight feet of police activity on Sunday. The law classifies knowingly filming within eight feet of officers as a Class 3 misdemeanor, which is punishable by up to 30 days in jail, $500 in fines, and up to a year on probation, according to Arizona law. The law says officers must warn anyone filming at least once before they can be charged with a crime. I love this. Now, let me explain. Look, if you're a constitutionalist and you're like the kind of person who wants to hold police accountable, you hate this law already. You're like, oh my gosh, you can't film. First of all, eight feet is plenty close. Okay, it's plenty close. The issue that comes up, and anyone who's worked patrol probably has come across people like this before. Okay, if you work patrol for any amount of time as I have, you're, you come across this. It's people getting up in your business who are not detained, they're not part of the incident, but they're getting very close and up in your business filming you and they're hoping to instigate a violent response, right? They're essentially interfering with police business and they're hoping to either piss you off so they can get the likes and shares, they go live, they do all that kind of stuff, okay? It is frustrating, okay? And you can't do anything about it, right? They have the right to film you if they want, Okay, cops have the right to be filmed. Okay, you're out in public. We have no expectation of privacy in public. Keep in mind the cops are also filming you. Okay, it's kind of a two-way street there. Okay, but the, the idea and concept is that this allows cops, it gives them basically another tool in their toolbox to ask people, hey, please step away at least eight feet so I can handle my business, so I can deal with these people who are detained, so I can deal with my traffic stop, whatever it is. Okay, and it allows them to at least, or it requires that they warn them at least once. Hey, man, there's a new law now. Uh, if you're going to film it, you have to be at least eight feet away. Right? They don't want to do it. Cool. New tool in my toolbox, buddy. Turn around, put your hands behind your back. Thanks for the phone, because now your film is now evidence. So I get to seize your phone. I'll write a warrant, having it ripped. So even if you bail out of jail, guess what? Okay, you're not getting your phone back right away. Okay, like that's what's going to happen. I love this. I love this. And I'm a constitutionalist. Okay, I believe in the First Amendment. I believe in the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, all the amendments, right? I believe in these things. So, so it's kind of like a, it's like a, to me, it's like perfect, right? It keeps cops safe, right? It gets people out of the scene. It gets people out of the way so they're not interfering with what you're trying to do. But they can still exercise their right, right? Eight feet is plenty close to capture things, right? You don't need to be closer than eight feet. Okay, totally makes sense. All right, I love it. I think it's a fantastical idea. All right, now I'm going to shift gears for a little bit here. I want to play a video for you guys. Let's see. This is all queued up here. Uh, I want to play a video for you guys because I've been making the argument for a while now that I see more racism from the left than I ever saw from the right. Okay, I see more racism, right? Now, the quote of the day 
would be, I think George Bush said this, right? The second one. He said the subtle bigotry of low expectations, right? So when you read these stories about people who are eliminating reading requirements at, at general high school or re, are eliminating re, uh, certain requirements and stuff because uh, minorities this or minorities that, okay, those are your racists. Okay, when you're looking at people and saying, oh, well, because of his skin color, he's not intelligent enough to meet these standards. We're just going to lower our standards. That's your racist. So I want to play this video. I found this on TikTok, of all places. And I know TikTok is very cliche. It's stupid. It's for kids, whatever. I, I have a lot of fun. I, I enjoy it. All right, People are funny. But I found this video on TikTok that kind of emphasizes. Now, this is a person who's wearing a T-shirt that says racist right next to another white guy who's wearing a T-shirt that says woke. And they're talking about how they became best friends because of all the things they have in common. Listen to this. We'd get along, but turns out we kind of agree on everything. Your racial, racial identity is the most important thing. thing. Everything should be looked at through the lens of race. race. Jinx, you owe me a Coke. Damn. We both have a lot of opinions about people of color, even though we barely know any. I say colored people, but as long as we're classifying them, we both think minorities are a united group who think the same and act the same. And both the same. You don't want to lose your black card. Sorry, I don't know. I just think we should roll, roll back, back discrimination laws so we can hire based on race again. Jinx, now you owe me a Coke. Hey, tell them what you told me yesterday. White actors should only do voices for white cartoon characters. Been saying that for years. Stick to your own. Us white people, we have so much privilege. I agree, it is a privilege to be white. Ask him about interracial dating. All I said is that black men who date white women have internalized racism, and white men that date ethnic women are fetishizing them. Guys against interracial dating now. Like, am I being pranked? <laughs> yeah. Okay, like, seriously, though. Like, seriously. I mean, I grant it, it's supposed to be amusing, but they say the same things. Right? I mean, they're saying the same things. I, I always think of this story. This happened years ago. I think it was up in Seattle or Portland, one of those very liberal cities. These two white women open up a restaurant. Now, if anyone's ever opened up a business before, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of things. I mean, people only do it because it's their dream to do it. They open up a walk-up burrito stand. Right? It's just a small little restaurant with the windows, kind of like a mobile taco truck, but it's just like a, a fixed brick-and-mortar store. You walk up, and they just specialize in burritos. Everything burrito, right? Vegan burritos, carne asada burritos, chicken burritos, whatever, right? It's burritos. Now, granted, burritos aren't technically Mexican food, right? It's an American rendition of Mexican ingredients, right? We take, we take traditional Mexican food, and we kind of do our own thing with it, and we add things to it that you wouldn't normally see, right? Go to Mexico and order a burrito. You might be hard to find one, except in a restaurant that's designed to cater to tourists, right? Like, so, so these two white women open up this restaurant, and they're forced to shut down by the public. Okay, they're forced to shut down because they are culturally appropriating it. Because they were white, they were not allowed to have a Mexican, quote-unquote, Mexican restaurant. Okay, those are supposed to be your liberal leftists, right? Your tolerant individuals. Okay, going after white people because they weren't allowed to have a restaurant that makes burritos. Do you understand the problem here? Only Mexican, only people of color can make certain foods. Okay, only people of color can do certain things. They can only wear certain outfits. Okay, Will Witt from Turning Point USA actually just did a video on this too. He dresses up in traditional Chinese attire, right? The silk, the silkies, the um, the uh, traditional uh, Chinese farmer's hat. You know, he goes to a college and everyone starts talking about how racist he is and how effed up he is and how messed up and all this stuff. And he's like, "Really? Why? Why? Explain this to me." You know, and nobody could really articulate why, but they're talking about how racist it was for him to do this. And then he goes to the local Chinatown. And he meets with actual Chinese people who embrace Chinese culture, who came from China or wherever. And he says, well, is this offensive? And they're like, well, no. No, I think you look great. I think you look wonderful. I'm, I'm flattered that you would wear our clothing. Do you see the attitude difference? Now, obviously, the attitude behind something is different, right? If, I've, if I dress up in traditional Chinese 
uh, garb in an effort to mock Chinese people in a racist way, yeah, sure, I'd be wrong. Okay, but if a Chinese person dresses up in clothing that I would enjoy wearing, you know, the jeans and the T-shirt with the, you know, gun on it and stuff like that, I don't mock him. I don't hate that. Welcome to my culture, man. You know, like, like I'm more flattered. Hey, man, you want to go fishing with me the way we go fishing? Like you, you want to, you know, you want to go shooting? I'll tell you right now, the number one activity I do with foreigners, let's go shooting because I know you can't do that in your country. Right, you get those foreign exchange students like in high school and stuff or college, and they're like, Oh, yeah, you know, you want to taste America? Let's go blow stuff up, right? And I don't look at them and say, Oh, no, you're not allowed to do this because uh, you come from a different country or you come from a certain culture or you come from a certain skin color or whatever, right? No, I love it, I'm flattered by it. Come participate, come, come eat my barbecue, right? Like, come check out this, the, the smoked whatever I'm uh, having my smoker. Like, you don't get offended by that kind of stuff, but a racist does, a leftist does. Right? And yeah, sure, the guys did it as a joke, but I thought it emphasized a point. And I posted it in a local um, political debate page I, I'm a part of. And a guy, a, a communist, basically, immediately, he's like, well, it's not like that. It's not like that. No, it is like that. Look at the message. Look at the actions behind the messages. That's exactly what it's like. Okay? I saw a university try and uh, change the rules because they were looking at their own population and said, oh, there's too many Asian people on our campus. We've got to change the rules. We gotta change the rules so we can discriminate against how many Asian people we allow into our school. Racism. Racism. I'll tell you right now, guys, if it was up to me on your college application, it would never say what gender you were, what your sexual orientation was, or what race you were. Just your merits. Just what qualifies you to be a member of my community, my college. Okay? I don't wanna know and I don't care. Right? Isn't that how it should be? Like, if we really had a society of equality, isn't that what it should look like? Give me a job application. I don't want to see what your gender is. I don't care. I don't want to see what your sexual orientation is. I don't care. I don't want to, I don't care if you're a man who feels like a woman or a woman who feels like a man. I don't care. I don't care what your race is. I'm not going to allow it on my job applications. Give me a name and a phone number and your qualifications. That's all I care about. Again, I mean, speaking of my dad, my dad talked about this. My dad used to be a contractor way back in the, like the 70s and stuff. So he would hire and fire people for jobs. And he said the same thing. He's like, you know, this whole thing is overblown. I mean, this is a guy who was born in the 50s, raised through the 60s, you know, became a man throughout the 70s, you know, started his own business, you know, eventually changed careers in the 80s. You know, so he's, he's looking at it. He's like, you know, a lot of this was overblown. He's like, I didn't care when I was hiring people what their race were or sexual orientation or anything. My big, he's like, I was a small business owner. My big thing was, can you do the job, right? And he was a contractor. He's like, I don't care what you do on the weekends. I don't care, you know, whose bed you're in at night. Can you lay the tile? Can you run the electricity? He didn't care if somebody was a girl or a boy or whatever. Can you do the job? And I honestly think that reflects the vast majority of small business owners, Okay, I really do. I, I think a lot of discrimination stuff in this day and age is not, I think it should be there, like the laws protecting people from discrimination. I think they should be there, but they're not always necessary. I don't think it's as big of a deal as people pretend it is. Okay, now I know it's controversial to say. Okay, now I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It happens a lot. I'm just saying it's not happening the way that the liberal left pro, like, acts like this is the worst country on earth. Okay, open your eyes, talk to your neighbors, right? Those are always the big messages I tell people. Look around you. Stop, telling, stop believing what they're telling you on the internet or on the TV. Okay, and go talk to your neighbors and see how they feel about stuff. And I promise you, the world is not nearly as bad as you think it is. Okay, if you're feeling down, if you're having a hard time watching the news or anything, go talk to your neighbors. Go talk to your friends. Email me, dtp.usa.com. I'll cheer you up. 
There's all sorts of great things happening in the world right now. There's lots of great stories happening in the world right now. Okay? Um, it's just a matter of finding them. Right? Remember, folks, you are what you eat. Okay? You are what you eat. So if you're taking in the bad crap, you're going to feel bad. You're going to feel miserable. You're going to be a pessimist. If you're taking in the good stuff, you're going to feel optimistic. You're going to feel happy. You're going to feel like we're headed in the right direction. Okay? I would encourage you to be a realist, but don't sit there and swamp yourself in the negative, and don't sit there and blind yourself with the positive. All right, I'm going to leave it right there, folks. This is the Server the Peace podcast. By all means, DTP at USA.com. If you disagree with me, email me. Okay, don't talk crap. Don't report me to my agency. Just email me. Okay, let's talk about it. All right, let me clarify my opinion on something. Or, or, or maybe you're right. Maybe I need to change my mind. And I'll come on here in the very next podcast and say, you know what? Uh, Patty changed my mind. Susie changed my mind. Nicholas changed my mind. Bob changed my mind. I was wrong about this. And this is why. They brought this to my attention. Like I said, if you're truly an open-minded person, you're always looking for reasons to be wrong, and that's who I'm striving to be. I'm always looking to, for a reason to be wrong. So by all means, if you disagree with me, DTP at USA.com. That's David Tom Paul at USA.com. Good night. Mm-hmm.